G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 115 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in once again, uh, episode 115. It's come around really quick. Um, we're up to 200 before we know it, but uh, it's been an unbelievable ride and um, I've had lots of different guests uh, from lots of different backgrounds on this podcast to share their journeys. Um, today's man um, has got a very unique journey, uh, something that's really close to me actually with what he's actually been through and uh, Karen Tui uh, is today's guest now. Karen is one of 12 children, um, six boys, six girls. Uh, five of his, well, including himself, so five of the boys joined the army, as did his father and grandfather. Kieran was in the army and uh, was unfairly dismissed in 2013, pretty well left for uh, left for dead, uh, I guess, left to his own devices with not um, no, no real uh, life skills to be able to sort of transfer into modern society immediately and was, was really lost. Um, so... He actually got back on his feet by working four jobs, 100 hours a week, um, burned himself out pretty bad, uh, and sort of since then has, has been pretty passionate about uh, trying to help uh, raise awareness around men's health and suicide prevention primarily, which is um, very, very uh, important, but also it should, shouldn't be happening. Like, you know, armed forces or any organisation shouldn't be leaving someone uh, out or exiting someone from a business and, uh, and giving them no support. You know, they're completely vulnerable. I was one of them. It happened to me too. I know what it's like. And I just don't think it's great that, uh, that we have people um, engaged in our family, let's say, if it's a workplace or a sporting club or whatever it may be. And then to be able to treat them uh, poorly, um, to, to just basically leave, leave the family or leave the system, um, you know, for something you may not have uh, deserved possibly. And I don't think anyone does deserve to be treated like that. So Karen and I get a really good chat about all things uh, well-being, you know, what it's like to feel, you know, uh, I suppose abandoned in, in some ways and um, some, of the, some of the tools that we can actually um, do to build resilience and, and just make sure that these sorts of things, um, if they do happen to us, uh, if we don't have the support, where to possibly go to get the support so we can get back on our feet again pretty quickly. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this chat and I really encourage you to share it with other people as well. Just want to make a special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. So if you're lacking something in your diet, I really encourage you to check out their website. They, they provide uh, amazing products which, products which are sourced from best, uh, the best locations uh, and sources in the world. Uh, their website is greennutritionals.com.au. Also, Pure Life Bakery, who provide organic sprouted bread. So when the grains in our bread are sprouted, the digestive process in our body works a lot better. We don't get bloated like we do with normal bread. So I really encourage you to check out their site, purelifebakery.com.au. Also, if you're looking for staff, if you're an ex-serviceman, um, MacForce Australia actually uh, help ex-service ex people, men and women, uh, transfer out of armed forces uh, and into a new career, new work life. They're really good at it. They've got uh, ex-service people working for them uh, who help uh, uh, help individuals sort of transition into a new career uh, with support. And you know, these guys have, uh, have walked the path. They understand what it's like. So 
if you are looking to exit the, the armed forces or you already have, I really encourage you to touch base with uh, Cody at MacForce. Uh, the website is MacForce, M-A-C-F-O-R-C-E. So macforce.com.au. I really encourage you to check them out. Uh, really uh, easy to deal with company that really care about their people. So uh, please uh, check them out. All right. I uh, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kieran and I. And please feel free to share it with others that uh, may find it helpful. Karen Tui, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Hello, Aaron. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. This is your first podcast, is that right? Uh, for you, but I've done some other ones before. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I thought I might have been the first one. That is my fire's gone. Uh, it's good, mate. Uh, no, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you here. I've sort of we've been sort of looking at each other, uh, you know, um, with what we're up to for a while, and you know, I've been really impressed with the work that you're doing and, and the work you actually do with open arms and and how, how that's all sort of come about with regards to men's health and suicide prevention and all those sorts of things which are really important in modern life, mate. That we need to uh, pay more attention to. Um, you know, where we've got a world now which is pretty. Uh, dysfunctional i just think we need to do what we can to do exactly that open our arms to help out other people mate so um we're going to talk a bit more about that but i'd like to hear a bit a bit about your journey mate like you know one of 12 kids in assassins that would have been a um a battle like <laughs> trying to uh, get the food scraps and that sort of thing but mate um where did you grow up and, and how did life sort of uh evolve for you i think you were number 10 out of 12 kids is that right yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, but, uh, I'm, I'm assuming people have already guessed that it's um, Irish Catholic background, good Catholics, yeah, big family. Um, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I mean, dis- no disrespect by that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, number 10, so I was down the bottom of the food chain. Uh, six sisters, uh, five brothers, so yeah, 12 kids. <sighs> and um, we grew up just north of the theme parks down near Dreamworld, went wild north of the Gold Coast in some bushland. Um, so we weren't full rural, uh, but we weren't full suburbia either. We didn't have neighbours or anything like that. Mm. Um, very natural. We had a property. Um, luckily, for the safety of other civilians, there were so many <laughs> little rat boys running around. Um, you know, and it, 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 you know, as much as we didn't have money, uh, we had each other and we had property and I think that in many respects the lack of cash but the, the big property was good because it forced us out into the bush where we would literally, I know this sounds very old school, but literally barefoot running around catching fish through our dams and mm. eels and, and we'd eat off our land, um, pigs and horses and cows and all sorts of things. So yeah, it was pretty lucky. Um, quite a polarising upbringing. One minute was chaotic and violent it was uh, <laughs> almost like ultimate fighter championships every day and then the next minute was really funny and, and um, hilarious you know we had really good sense of humour um, and out of the six boys five of us ended up going to the army um, just naturally occurred dad was army and grandpa was World War One, mm. and that sort of set my adult uh, life and career into motion Aaron Unreal. So, so you were the last of the boys to join the army, or did your younger brother join the army? Yeah. So there's one one boy below me, and he joined basic training uh, exactly one week behind me. 
Mm, unreal. Unreal. There you go. So how old were you when you got in, mate? Uh, I, I got off the bus at midnight on my 19th birthday. Unbelievable. So you're so young and so raw to, to get into this sort of stuff. But I guess you would have had a reasonable understanding of what to expect because you've had other siblings in there and your dad and so forth. Or was it a bit of a shock to you to actually go into that environment? No, uh, you know, good guess, man, because the, the other thing was dad being ex-military raised uh, us in a very um, militant way, the, be- the, the best way he knew how to, at least at that time. And um, uh, so getting out of high school, I actually wanted to try and do something different from the other boys, and I wanted to study architecture, of all things. Mm. Um, didn't like it, thought, bugger it, I'll join the army. And um, I went there, and there were... I couldn't believe how lucky I was, to be honest, because... <laughs> The platoon sergeants weren't as scary as dad. Um, you didn't get bashed by your brothers like you would at home, and you wouldn't bash back. Mm. Uh, you had meals cooked for you. You didn't have to do the dishes. All you had to do was focus on getting fit and um, passing the courses they had. So uh, I ran around loving it, uh, Aaron, and, you know, grown men running around crying, and I couldn't understand what was wrong. I thought it was like a free, you know, food and fitness camp. So, mm. you know, I ended up getting... <laughs> The three awards there ended up getting the, the, the two awards that you get from basic training and uh, didn't really try for them. It was just a very natural setting for me that I um, ended up really enjoying. Unreal, mate. It sounds, uh, it sounds like a bit of a dream come true for you, you know, like sort of going into something and enjoying that environment. Like, oh, I loved a bit of combat too. I never joined the army, but I liked that. That, that sort of stuff where you, you know, you had to dig, dig in and, and, and be nice and raw and all that type of thing too. And, and obviously you, you, you had what, nearly eight, nine years in the army altogether, is that right? A little bit more, it was about 13 and a half years I ended up doing, mm. um, that was cut short, so I didn't want to get out. Um, five different country operations I went to and um, yeah, just ended up being cut short without, I wanted to stay in for life, but mm. um, due to other circumstances mm. and the, um, the, the, the justice system that the military has, you know, additional to the justice system that civil society has, um, they have their own kind of kangaroo court system and they can boot you for whatever they want. Mm. We'll talk more about that in a moment, mate, but with regards to your time in the army, what, what were the highlights for you? Uh, in a nutshell, brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I was in a corps, I was in engineers at the time where there weren't uh, females when I when I first joined and so it was literally a brotherhood and I, I'm really passionate about this point because in my, you know, platoon or group of men um, that were, were serving together, it, it didn't matter what walk of life you were from, it didn't matter what colour your skin was, it didn't matter how rich or poor you were. Um, Everyone wore the same coloured uniform. Mm. Everyone was as equally shit as each other. <laughs> and you had to all work together, both physically and mentally, combine your efforts to, to solve a problem or to get through a, a hurdle or an obstacle. And it, it, it brought people together. And, it, you know, I think it was Martin Luther King said, look, 
hopefully a day comes when we don't focus on the colour of the skin but the, the content of a man's character. Mm. And that was precisely the experience my uh, Aboriginal friends had, my uh, Indian friends, my Papua New Guinea mates, my mm. white mates, my, who gives a shit really. Yes. That's the experience all the lads had and it was one of unity. Uh, so that's really my highlight, Aaron, if mm. that makes sense. Mate, beautifully said, and it's so, it's so good to hear you say that because really what you've done is you've tapped into the basics of humanity at the end of the day, you know, where we've actually all got a, a heart beating in the centre of our chest which is connected to a soul, and that soul is, uh, is, our, is our purpose. And, and realistically, if you're in harmony with everyone else around you, like you mentioned with those other cultures that, uh, that live that way, when you're in that teamwork and that camaraderie and you're working together as a, as a machine, as a team, it's absolutely beautiful, and uh, that's what we're meant to be doing here as humans, right? We're actually meant to be doing things and collaborating and doing things together, um, you know, which is so important. And uh, it's good to hear hear you talk deeply about that, but I can tell it's that's something you're passionate about. What were some of the lowlights through that period for you? Um, I, I think confusion one because it's a very contradicting environment, so. You sign the dotted line, but and they, you know, to consent, but you don't really know what you're signing for. Mm. So people say, "Well, you signed the dotted line." It's like, yeah, but what nineteen-year-old or, or, or let alone average person in society knows the sort of psychological routine of conditioning mm. that you're going to go through? Um, and it's very implicit, Aaron. So by implicit, I mean you're shooting at a target or training to shoot at targets that are different to the targets they shot at in World War One, for example. Mm. So you're shooting at a target shaped like a man holding a knife with an angry face. Now, you don't know while you're shooting that just because it's shaped more like a human, not a bullseye, you're more likely to shoot at a human in real life than if you were shooting at a bullseye. Mm. Mm. Makes sense. And so I don't mean that as a low point. I mean it as a, um, you know, unfortunately we've got militaries and, it doesn't matter how utopic my thinking is, we can't get rid of them. So that's the best way to train someone to do that job. The, the, the low point, I think, is they then, uh, the military has an ethos of mateship and moral courage, and you can be conflicted. So where on the spectrum of right on wrong does, I don't know, let's say using foul language and swearing compared to taking a life. Mm. And so I got booted for using foul language and crass text in an email, and that's about as legit as it gets. Mm. Um, but you get medals for going to another person's country and taking a life, perhaps. Mm, yeah, mate. So on the spectrum, they're like, well, that, that language is disgusting and foul. Oh, did you kill someone? Yes, give him a medal. Mm. And I so there's a real moral confusion if that makes sense, Aaron. Oh, absolutely it does, mate, because, yeah, you, you were confused because you had humanity in its essence with your, with your teammates, you know? Like, you, you, had, mm -hmm. that, you had that essence of, of what it's like to, to work together, but at the same time, you're, you're training yourself to kill another human, which has basically got the same, um, I suppose, opportunity to be on this planet just like you have, you know? Um, and just because they're from another country, another colour or whatever it may be, you, 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 you're drilled to hate them, which is not humane. It's one of the lower levels of human consciousness, you know. 
Um, so yeah, unfortunately, we do need to have defense because of threat, but at the same time, we need to actually uh, probably start to train our people more about you know self-respect and uh, and those types of things, and uh, to be able to use these skills if absolutely necessary. But uh, at the same time, we hope they never be used at all. And oh, I can see why you're so conflicted, mate, because you know you're 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 at one with 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 your people here, and then you've got uh, the other side, which is trying to. Um, destroy you which is which is not great and um yeah i I can see that you're a very heart-based individual uh and you have got feelings and emotions and those types of things whereas the army are basically training you to be um uh unattached to your feelings and emotions and that too and that can really lead to you know unbalanced mental health at the uh, mental health at the end of the day absolutely um yeah, very contradicting, you know, like, you know, stand up and use moral courage. And uh, I remember standing up one day to, to make a, to, to try and, you know, um, flex that moral courage uh, muscle. And as soon as I stand up, one of the sergeants goes, sit the F down, Tui, in front of everyone. And I sat back down, mm. cowered in my chair, and my heart was pulsing. And I went, I am never speaking up ever again because that was humiliating. Yeah. And everyone laughed. Mm. Um, and, you know, I could hold myself, but I tried to make it look like I was tough and cool and I didn't really care, but I did. It, it upset me a lot. Mm. And um, it, it is, I, I don't think you can train someone to shoot and take a life. And I'm not saying we're killers. I want to be careful of the language like we're brutal killers, but there, there's a job to do and we justify it by certain means. Mm. But it's really hard to then come home and then just, ooze this uh, EQ that they society thinks you maybe have as a scholar and a poet from the military. Like, I don't... Mm. It, it really... It's quite juxtaposed, if that makes sense. Mm, it does, mate. What, 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 what come to me there was, you know, that, that comment that individual made to you, that hurt you, but a blow to the heart is more powerful than a blow to the body. Uh, that, that, that hurts you and, and really... Uh, Getting back to what I mentioned before, I think you are really a heart-based individual because you want to help and care and um, you know do things to be able to you know support other people. But but yeah, that that that's not ideal. I don't know why we're still behaving that way. Um, you know, in a leadership role, like a leader, a leader should not be behaving that. So that sort of concerns me a bit that they're still. Um, uh, well, that was a few years ago now, but still, you know, that sort of uh, type of mentality is um, is being used. Yeah, it, and it's certainly, to be fair to, you know, I'm not hating on the ADF and I'm not hating on any of these government positions that I've been in ever. Um, they've got a job to do and, um, you know, the times are changing and so they're lagging a bit, but they're, they're I, can, I can say they are genuinely open to listening to uh, what they can do to make it better. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I'm all for equality, diversity, and those other catchwords at the moment. I'd, I'd prefer we focus on unity instead of diversity, but um, diversity does matter. Um, but it's the way you employ the, the diverse opportunities for people uh, that can hurt others, and that's where I think they've got to be careful. Mm, yeah, I understand, mate. Tell me, so, yeah, it's really interesting, yeah, you sort of had those... Uh, those fluctuations through your through your career there. So, 
you were exited out of the uh, the military uh, all of a sudden, um, basically. So yeah, that that sort of come from from an email with the sounds of it. How did that unfold? Well, it's precisely where I was going with that last point, mate. So the the the, the chief of defence force at the time were really trying to encourage women to join the in the ADF, which is I think fantastic. Like, go for it. I got no dramas with that. Um, and they wanted to make example out of some men. And they uh, found out about uh, a series of emails <clears throat> that a couple of individuals were sending and talking to each other about their exploits on a weekend. Now, I'm sure they weren't uh, great and it's pub talk. Fine, I get that. Um, time and place, right? Uh, but I didn't receive that set of emails, but I knew the people involved. And they basically just went out, the spiders went, went well, he knows him and he knows him, get rid of him as well. And so they used uh, other emails that I'd sent with explicit language and crass language, uh, crass content. Um, like I'm not, not claiming I'm an angel at all, but I did nothing illegal. I did nothing wrong by anyone else. It was just crass humour. And they said, that's disgusting, on your bike, mate. And the next minute, I'm in my office getting uh, stood up by military police and escorted out and that really was how much I knew was going on. Military police came, said, this is what's happening. Do your, read, uh, do your notice to show cause and uh, see you later. Don't come back on base. I did get a proper separation health examination and that included psychological screening or anything uh, physical. So, um, yeah, there I am at home unbuttoning my military fatigues and going, what the hell just happened? Just in shock. No, no feeling. Um, and I thought, well, I've you know won awards for uh, commendations for the good work I've done and soldiers' medallions and things like this, and now they're saying I'm a piece of crap and they boot you out. And I didn't have a leg to stand on, mate. Mm. Uh, and that was the beginning of when I started to sort of fall into a, a mess uh, regarding mental health. Mm, mate, so, so one day you're in a job, the next day you were out of a job. What did that look like? You were, you were sort of showing the door, see you later. And, uh, and and what happened, like, if you can recall from there, you, you basically, like, had nowhere to go or you called mum and dad or, or how did it unfold? You had a few dollars in the bank to keep you, keep you through? Yeah, it, it, was, it was hard. It was kind of like grief, you know. Mm. When I thought of, when I retrospectively look back at it, I think about grief, um, that when, when someone dies, for example, who's really close to you mm. or whatever the grief is, um, there's like a shock stage where you're not really sure, doesn't make sense, and then you go through cycles, you know, um, lows, highs, um, revenge, anger, sadness, all those things. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't really, I was living in Sydney by myself, so I was a single man, I had no family uh, in Sydney uh, at the time, I got the boot, went back to my unit, and um, I thought, shit, what am I going to do? Um, I had some savings left from... Uh, a couple of tours I did in the Middle East. I thought, well, that get me through for a while, but i got to sort of start doing, finding work. And I also um, had just started doing psychology at uni. And I thought, <laughs> not the best time to start a degree when you're starting to go down rock bottom. Mm. Uh, and um, also not a good time to uh, get booted from the military when, you know, you haven't got a job yet either. So... I didn't tell anyone 
I I sort of had I don't know if it was just a lack of education or identifying as a very stoic warrior who doesn't ask for help or whatever but mm. I just thought you have to do this on your own and so I'm on my own I always have been so you got to just keep going somehow and looking back uh, you know I ended up running out of money I ended up using ice mm. uh, I ended up drinking cartons of booze and running out of money failing at uni uh, sold my car to try and pay rent uh, had mates who were still serving, you know, dying um, from all sorts of things. Mm. Um, and I was also working four casual jobs while I went to uni with no car. So you can imagine living in Sydney. I lived in the eastern suburbs. It's 20 minutes one way on the bus to uni. I do two hours of lectures. Then I get back on the bus and go another 25 minutes to the city, work one job for uh, four hours, finish that, work another job for four hours, and then it's an hour ride back home. And doing that every day with no breaks, I was easily pushing uh, pushing 100 hour plus weeks mm. of both study and work, mm. barely making rent, uh, trying to get by with booze and, you know, methamphetamines to give me a, a, some positive vibes, I suppose. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just... You know, it was the perfect recipe to, to keep going downward, not upward. So that's how it sort of got messy, mate. Mm, no doubt. Mate, it's, look, it's, like, it's common uh, to, 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 to yep. hear your, your journey there. I remember, uh, like, I got made redundant once and, like, my whole identity was attached with that role, as I'm sure yours was, possibly. And I just felt completely vulnerable, lost scared frightened you know you, you might throw all these emotions in like you mentioned and you, you you actually go into shock as you said because you you know it's it's not expected and uh it's not nice and it's not humane now let me ask you a question how if that was you giving those directions how would you have done it better if it, like if, if someone was 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 managing you out how would you do it now so I thought about that a lot too and the Chief of Defence Force at the time talked about the military family. Mm. There was a really golden opportunity for the Chief of Defence Force to, to get me and whoever they wanted actually. Um, and by the way, if you check Defence Force people's emails during the time I served, every single person would have been booted out. Mm. So just putting that out there. Um, now, if the Chief of Defence Force grabbed us five or seven people together and said, guys, not on, that's absolutely rubbish, we're going to keep you in, but you have to prove to us that you're you know, going to change your language, you're going to try to not use the system this way or whatever. Um, so I, I wish that they took us under their wing and said, you know what, we have trained you a certain way, we're going to show people, we're going to use it as an example to, to mentor other young men coming into the military and other young women coming into the military and not to parade you around as an example, but mm. in a way, as a mentor to go, hey, you know, I've stuffed up here with using foul language and emails. It's not on, especially in the military. Mm. I've got my pub humour, which I keep now, and black humour, which I still love. 
but in the military context, it wasn't appropriate. I wish they used this to sort of mentor others about um, how you can recover, show examples of that, and how you can move forward with your chest high, uh, your head high and your chest out again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. what, what they did instead is they went on the media and, you know, I'm unbuttoning my uniform and there's Channel 10 News going, oh, the army got rid of a bunch of gang rapists. Mm-hmm. Trying to shame you. Well, it is completely false too, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's 25 million people hearing we got rid of gang rapists and then I'm like, holy shit, talk about identity. Mm. So if 25 million people see that, and it's versus me, I know who I am. And then I remember going around to a friend's house with uh, a young daughter they had whose nappy I'd changed. Mm. You know, we had a beautiful, loving, innocent relationship with this little beautiful girl. The, when I walked in the house, the wife picked up the daughter and they walked out of the room. Right. And I, I just was like, that that was the hardest hitting moment for me where I went, you haven't even asked me what really happened. Mm. And so, you know in a movie when a bloke comes into prison and all the prisoners go, what are you in for? And he goes, I'm innocent. And they're like, sure, pal. Mm. That's how it feels still today. Mm. Yeah, so you, uh, um, you were labelled uh, by someone because of what they'd heard without actually having an opportunity to be able to defend yourself. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, mate. I feel so sorry for you, but, you know, obviously things have evolved since then, which is great, but uh, I know, I know, I know how you would have felt, mate, and uh, and, and not good because uh, getting back to what I've mentioned before, I think you're, you're a heart-based person and, and you would have taken those blows to the heart fairly significantly. So did you have like suicidal thoughts, you know, post that and before that and, um, you know, really, really sort of... Um, um, question your self worth. Yeah, mate, absolutely. And, and and by the way, I know this isn't unique to to Kieran uh, as well. And as you said at the beginning, Aaron, lots of people uh, go through very similar things where they're they compromised identities and um, de- you know defamed. Um, so I'm going to be contradicting in my story now that I know that that's sorrowful and what have you. But yes, I, I did hit rock bottom. Uh, where I thought about ending my life. Three clear occasions where I, I wanted to. Um, and I remember the third time I just failed uh, a course at uni again, which means thousands more dollars to repeat it, which I didn't have. Um, and a mate died of cancer, a really a, a true warrior in a sense too, mm. uh, passed away. And I was like, I'm done. You know, mm. I'm, I'm finished, I want to end my life. Anyway, I sat there at home, uh, not long into thinking about it and planning it and was about to, you know, take that final act. And uh, I had a vision of my mum pop into my head right then and there, mate. And mm. I'm not overly religious or anything like that, uh, but it's like the... I, I, I like neuroscience, so I say the brain tried to find a way to stop me in that moment. And it, as you rightly said, I am heartfelt and I think my mum is what I miss the most. Mm. That human who nurtured me inside her mm. and fed me. Uh, and the vision of mum, it looked like a woman who had been crying for a year straight and she hadn't ever slept and mm. it broke my heart. Mm. It stopped me. It jolted me out. 
and and from there the story started to change. Mm. What year was that, mate? I think it was twenty end of twenty fifteen, beginning of twenty sixteen. So you'd been out of the military for a couple of years by then. That's right. Yeah. So you you went through a lot of crap for a couple of years until you got to that point. Oh <laughs> yeah, mate. It was a it was a doozy of a few years. That's for sure. Mm, unreal. Tell me, so that was a turning point for you. What did you do to get yourself back on your feet? Um, so first I want to acknowledge people out there, if you are listening, how awfully lethargic you are, how awfully tired, how low in energy. And no matter what I say right now, step one, step two, it's like, man, I just need energy first. Mm. And I think that's, I think it's undersold how important just having energy to move is. Mm, mm. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, three sort of things I had aligned. One of them was pure luck. And it was pure luck that that vision popped in my head. It was pure luck that I had a couple of good mentors near me. Um, and it was pure luck that I was studying, you know, human psychology at uni at the time too. Um, so I knew there's a beautiful term, neuroplasticity, which means how I felt that day needn't be how I feel tomorrow. Mm, that's right, yeah. But you've got to work for it. Mm. You can't just wake up and expect it to be all happy again. So I was like, shit, I've got, I've got a lot of work to do here. So as for example, wake up after nine hours sleep and you feel like you need 20 more, mm. you've got to get up. Mm. You've got to somehow drag that left leg out, then that right leg out, and then straighten them, and then walk to the bathroom, and then shave, mm. and then make your lunch, and just slow, monotonous, painful movements every day for a long time. Now, it, it did start to slowly change energy levels, and then that started to change my mental clarity. So there was like a, a, a cascading effect from starting to move first, if that makes sense. It does, mate. Absolutely it does. And uh, it sounds like you were self-aware enough to, to just take those small moments and be able to make some achievements uh, that, which were able to move you forward. Yeah. I, I think the, the other saving grace was... Um, who knows if this was luck or what? Who, I don't know, but the stars aligned for me, man. And um, I was also going to a philosophy and meditation school once a week. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met this one of the mentors. And he, <laughs> such a beautiful man. He was in his late 70s when I met him. He's in his uh, 80s now. And he, he, he would always well-dressed in a suit with a cane, and he'd sort of come over to you, he'd reach his hand out and put it on my cheek with a big smile and say, hello, my boy, and mm. just smile. Mm. And it just filled me with the energy that I needed, that, mm. that mm. simple, how are you, my boy? Yeah. Because I needed some connection with someone. And he saw me one day or heard me one day talking about how sad I felt and how depressed and lethargic and he had a curious look on his face. And I was like, what? And he goes, you're a soldier, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you still identify as a soldier? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, then get up. 
And I thought, oh, shit, he's right. You're, you're not being a soldier in the metaphorical sense. Mm. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but back then when he said it, I sat up and I went, he's, he's compromised me. Mm. This soldier is lying down and not fighting anymore. Mm. That's not a soldier. And I used that philosophy of identity to motivate myself to, to keep pushing. So I needed luck, the philosophy, the science that the brain can change if you keep pushing, but also knowing that there's a Goldilocks zone for all this. If you push too hard, you break. Mm. If you don't push at all, you break. So I had to find a measured amount of tolerance to push through, if that makes sense. Absolutely, mate. It, uh, it does, because that gave you courage and hope, I guess, at the end of the day, you know, and you, you actually got a, uh, an elevator to, to, to sort of help you move, move, move up the stairs uh, rather than, uh, you know, continually staying at the bottom. And, and that was probably the, 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 the nudge that you needed. So what happened from there? Well, yeah, I think what also helped is that this person oozes wisdom, not necessarily the knowledge, but wisdom. And wisdom included listening. So I can just imagine the absolute ignorant stuff coming out of my mouth, but he never once said, you're ignorant, you're mm. privileged, you're this, you're that. He just listened. Didn't judge you. And, uh, yeah, completely. And I thought, how good is that not to get judged? And the, the, this is how the, this is the magic in that. I'm not condoning bad behavior here, but what I'm saying is listening to the hater or ignorant person made me go, oh, he's having. Mm, that's right. And so the, his, his actions, his own self-transformation and the work he'd done inspired me to want to be better. Mm. So I started, you know, even get, getting home from King's Cross and drunk and high. And I remember getting home at like 3 a.m. drunk and high and sitting on the end of my bed practicing meditation. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, okay. That, that's uh, interesting. You wouldn't have been doing it too well, but that's all right. At least you were doing it. <laughs> no, I was completely unconscious, mate. But yeah. I was I, I just so uh, impressed by how, how well it worked that I would do it in an unconscious fashion, literally. Mm, unreal, mate. It's, it's so good to hear, but that, that person, uh, you know, coming into your life for a reason, really. Um, uh, you know, let's just, just, just go back. Like, imagine if things didn't happen in 2013 like they did. What, where do you think you'd be now? Uh, I was actually trying to become a military psychologist. Okay. Um, so I probably would have been doing that, uh, to be honest. And um, I... I I, I think uh, I wouldn't have the, well, who knows? Let's say a parallel universe, I'd just be in there as a psychologist in the military. I don't think I'd have the experience and the knowledge um, at such a profound level that I do now either. So in a way, to contradict the sorrow, you know, there's grace in disaster too. And mm. I actually, I know this sounds, I don't know how it sounds, but I'm actually happy with what happened to me now. Yes. Yep. Agreed. Weirdly enough. Everything happens for a reason, mate, and these things aren't quite often planned for us. Um, usually, you know, when we when we have conflict or we have uh, difficulty, that is a tremendous platform for growth. And, and you've had to, like, swim at the bottom of the ocean for a while, 
before you're able to sort of start to, to make your way up. Now, you know, since you've been able to make your way up and, and get to where you are now, you've been able to sort of help a lot of other people transform their lives. And that is so much more of a gift than what you would have probably had if you were still doing what you were doing, you know, or still in that, uh, in that industry, so to speak. So, mate, uh, you've got to be proud of yourself for that, <clears throat> to be able to sort of use that opportunity back then when that guy made that comment to, to, to really start to lay the foundations to move forward. So from there, you, you basically got into suicide prevention and you got into doing more to help others. What does that look like for you? What, what's your role look like that you're doing now and some of the other roles that you've, did, uh, you've done on the, on the path to where you are currently? Yeah, so I ended up finishing the degree very uh, slowly, repeating a lot of subjects, uh, still working those four casual jobs. But anyway, mm. just sort of kept pushing and pushing gently, gently. Um, and yeah, got, when I got my degree, I was just so happy that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people didn't think I'd ever make it, neither did I. And it, that was hard for me. I'm not an academic person. Mm. It, I struggle with that. Mm. But nonetheless, uh, finished it and I saw a job come up for a field officer and case manager role with um, Mates in Construction, the suicide prevention uh, charity in yep. New South Wales yep. uh, at the time. Uh, went for it and succeeded and uh, the role ended up diverting into mates in mining, so then moving the same uh, ideas into the mining sector as well and that's why I moved to the Hunter Valley. Um, but yeah, the, the suicide prevention, I thought that there's definitely a place for psychologists and psychiatrists, as we know, um, but I don't think there's usually much of a gut filled for that lived experience mm. individual, um, which they're starting to look at a lot more, thank goodness. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to talk to fellas like myself, um, you know, rural, coastal, uh, metropolitan, doesn't matter. And I, I go, you know what? I, I know, brother. <laughs> I've I felt that too. Mm. And it was very non-clinical but it was very therapeutic yeah. and so you know fast forward out of the suicide prevention role i did for well, about four and a half years i think you know i've asked hundreds of men um many of them face to face about suicide in a very open frank and sincere way and they've never got aggressive at me mm. they've never one guy told me to get stuffed one day but that, that was fine. Um, uh, but I think it just doing that role also obliterated all the myths around talking about it too and confirmed that my lived experience helped but also talking to them about it genuinely without being scared of the subject um, potentially saved a lot of fellas' lives too. Big time. Absolutely, mate. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're coming at this with compassion, you know, you think about what you were doing with your mates back in the army. That was that was some form of uh, of, of coherence with them, and there was some compassion for for each other. But now you're having that sort of same level or a higher level of compassion for other individuals because you're talking about your own lived experience. You're not coming at it from a clinical model and telling people what to do. You're actually showing people what's happened and and what can come from that. And you're dead right. I I know personally. 
um, how how impactful it can be when you're standing in front of a group of people and you're sharing things like that and just how that can flick a switch for someone that may be struggling, mate. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, there were days where I would talk to hundreds of people and just for an hour was a discussion about um, the MAPES program and some statistics. But the first thing I'd do is come out the front and go, look, I... I know what it's like to sit in the in the crowd when some person you've never met, you've got to put your tools down mm. for an hour, you're losing money, and now you've got to listen to some bloke talk about his shit. Yeah. yeah. And I'd sit at the back elbowing you going, who's this bloke, Aaron? Like, well, I don't know him. What's he got to offer? And so I'd say that to them. Mm. i go, I recognise that you don't know me and, you, you know, I can't make you listen. And it's like, this fellow's not trying to fight me. He's not trying to tell me what to do. He's not trying to fight me. And I respect that you pay taxes and raise your kids. So I want to put that out there. And while I talk and show you stats and whatever, if you disagree, put your hand up and say, hey, I disagree. And everyone else is not to belittle that man if he doesn't. Mm. And it just changed the atmosphere. Like no one's forcing me to... to, to explain my subjective experience because it's my subjective experience and so we got on swimmingly and we'd have a great time and a good conversation and lots of blokes would always come up in the end some needed help um and you know long story short we ended up getting thousands through our case management and to appropriate support systems and even better we uh you know took some survey results from some blokes in the mines and this is about 200 different surveys and we thought, let's see if it's working. Yeah, long story short, six, 12, 18 months post-training, 90-something uh, percent said that they, after our training, they, they did ask a mate about suicide. Mm, and out of that 90%, 70% were pretty critical. And out of that 70%, um, 50 of them were highly critical. So what, what I think is important is none of these guys had psychology degrees. None of them, some of them hadn't finished high school. Some mm. couldn't read and write properly. Mm. And yet they reduced suicide rates by just going, hey, brother, time to put the tools down, have a yarn. And you kept talking the way you talk and walk the way you talk, keep watching motocross and drinking beer. Mm. Just check in on your brother. That was it. Mm. Mm. And it worked. So I loved it, mate. Unbelievable. Yeah, mate, it's, it's as simple as that, really, um, at the end of the day. You know, you, you're teaching people heart-based behaviours, um, which we've all innately got within us, you know, uh, that gets masked with all the other, other you know, opinions and judgments of the mind at the end of the day, which uh, are not, not real and, and not relevant, you know. It's, uh, it's amazing to, to hear that you've, you've come through that whole journey to be able to do those sorts of things and how much of an impact it's had because you think when you started back in the army would would not, not have been having those conversations, mate. Yeah, it's, um, you're, you're right. There's, there's no time to say, hey, guys, like, imagine you go to watch a Rambo movie and halfway through the movie... He puts down his machine gun after shooting up a village and he goes, I feel tired, depressed, lonely, sad, and I want my mum. <laughs> people, <right>. <laughs> people would walk out of the cinema because it ruined yeah. the plot. Yeah, that's true. 
that's that's not how a soldier identifies. Mm, that's a good point, mate. I never thought of it like that because yeah, we all wanted to be Rambo or we wanted to be Arnie or or uh, you know GI Joe or the Fall Guy or any of them. You know, we always wanted to be those <laughs> those people, but 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 none of them showed compassion, did they? It was all about being tough and you know. Um, not not being vulnerable at all because that's weak. But uh, uh, mate, we've got so much stimulation in our lives now than what we had, you know, more than ever before. You know, so a guy's going to a mine, he's working his ass off, he's coming home, he's boozing, he's 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 getting distracted all the time. His nervous system's right out of whack, you know. Um, and it's no different than someone that's in the workplace or in the military or whatever it may be, or a kid at school. We've got to learn to manage our our. Um, our well-being, uh, you know, smarter, and uh, to be able to, you know, have the tools in our lives which can calm us down, you know, healthfully rather than unhealthfully. And society is always trying to take us the other way. You know, it is. We're, we're, we've got to accept that we're at, at actually war with with society sometimes because they're actually trying to disconnect us. You know, and you get back to your teammates in the army, how you had that beautiful coherence. Well, now that coherence is being threatened. Um, you know, in many ways. So people are uncertain, unstable, unsure, all those sorts of things. But we need to be having conversations like we're having now more and more often to help people realise that they are important and they're cared for and they're loved at the end of the day. Absolutely. And the irony is, when I first heard a pretty big, physically big, muscular bloke uh, talk about compassion and love and care... Mm. I was blown away by how incredibly powerful that was, mm. not the opposite. Mm. You know, and I was like, oh, man, and this guy could hold himself too, by the way, mm. uh, if he needed to. And, and so I think, because he, he loved kickboxing and he, he went to, you know, Wudang Mountain or something in China for two years and, you know, did all the proper stuff for training, physically, martial arts. But, yeah, he had a heart the size of a bloody bull. Mm. And... Um, he, he when he spoke like that, I thought, Jesus, that's that's impressive, you know. Um, mm. Not this. There's a time and a place for the Rambo. I get it, mm. and and there's a time and a place for taking the piss out of your mates at the pub, or the, uh, you know, at the TAB or at the bar or at a, at a camp out with your friends. I, I get it. I love that, mm. but but I think it's being able to switch into, well, looks like my mate needs a hand too, so I'm going to offer him some love. In, in the way I know best, which is most most blokes inherently, if they saw someone fall to the ground in pain and hurting, they'd go run and assist them up. Yep. They might not say the word love or openness or empathy or compassion, but they, they, they definitely enact it. Mm. I think we could, you know, culture or, or at least... At least Talk more about how people do have those those traits inherent, and it also includes, you know, for me when I was working those jobs, one of them was uh, working in a um, a famous hotel uh, in the bar with my little bow tie on, <laughs> and people would click their fingers and want their coffees, you know, mm. and they click their fingers at me, and I am angry Rambo. In my head, anyway, at least <laughs> I'm physically not, but yeah. in my head, I think I am clicking their fingers, wanting their coffee, and I'm I'm imagining doing some form of UFC on them for being rude. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, here's the hard bit. I had to bite my tongue and I couldn't do it. And I thought, well, here's your new battle, mate. Try and, try and see if you can practice biting your tongue and just cop some shit from someone. See how you go. Yes. Yeah, now, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not condoning, again, this person's manners, but what I'm saying is, why don't we practice on ourselves doing some work as well instead of just going, oh, look what outside's doing. And it's like, well, sure, but what are you doing? You've got resources inside yourself which are incredibly powerful and you can practice and eventually change to make that the new habit. And you know what? Now you're cooking with Teflon mm. and shit doesn't stick like it ever did before. That's true, mate. All the work needs to be done in the privacy of your own heart. And they're the skills yep. that we, I believe that we need to be able to help people uh, understand because once we have that connection, then we, we realise that we're all the same. So when you're lining up a man in Afghanistan, you know, you understand that he's just like you at the end of the day, you know. He's just on a different mm-hmm. team, you know. We're, we've been trained to be competitive in this modern world, you know. It was always about beating the other kid at school and... You know, team sports and all that, which are great, but, you know, there's no glory in, in defeating, you know, someone or something or a team. You know, there's a bit of temporary happiness, but that happiness doesn't last, does it, at the end of the day? I agree. And, you know, even now after, you know, years of meditation and study in different academic fields and knowledge and understanding, I still have these shit days. Mm. But I'm okay with it. It's like, well, I've come out of the rut because I've done a lot of work, but I also expect that uh, I could wake up next week and feel really crap again, but that's all right. Mm. And um, I've got now, I also have an arsenal of tools that I can I can go to and resources that I can use. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's tough, um, but there's, why, why are we always looking to beat the other person like you were saying at school? Mm. Well, What's wrong with just being ordinary mm. and practice being completely yourself? Little ordinary me. Just yeah. nothing extraordinary. Don't go for gold. Just practice being you. Mm. And you, you you might be in a place where you find you're actually a lot happier. Mm. That's true, mate. And uh, not being so judgmental, comparative, criti- critical of yourself because that's they're the, they're the behaviours that, uh, that were taught to us. You know, I, I, I've got to come back to... Um, thinking, you know, whose thought is that? When did this come in? Like, you know, this isn't me. Why am I behaving like that, you know? And uh, or why am I thinking like that? Well, it's someone else's thought that's come into me. But underneath that and underneath Rambo and underneath, you know, everyone, there's this, there's this connection and this soul purpose, you know? And that's so much more important. That's what you're going to come back to before you leave this body. So if you're able to uh, connect with that more often, then all of a sudden you're going to find that you're going to have a more of a connected conscious life uh, at the end of the day which is everyone's birthright yeah completely agree and i mean the other point to emphasize is this it, it needn't be anything mystical or foreign you know or um religious or any, look if they're your things great but what i'm saying for the other people who mightn't um you know in, enjoy that sort of stuff it it's absolutely practical things too Mm. And you could put a heart rate monitor on and you'll just see your heart beats differently. Like, that's just a fact. You're like, well, there you go. Look, even your, even your organs are working better. So it's saying something, right? Mm. 
agree, mate. That's it, because everything's working as it should. We're not meant to be tense and stressed and anxious, because when we're tense and stressed, stressed and anxious in the mind, you know, the body is the same. Like that, that is struggling. When we're calm and relaxed and being how we're meant to, then everything is working as it should, and that can become coherence again so to be able to do things that get you settled i think are really important and getting back to knowing yourself again and it's so hard for a guy to do um, because we've just been so conditioned to perform um you know whether that be financially or um you know through a a role or a status or whatever it might be you know and just to be uh, you know okay being yourself at the end of the day and i'd like to hear a bit about your role with open arms mate what's it look like and uh, how are you enjoying it uh, so the, the the title is called Peer and Community Engagement or Peer and Community Advisor. can't remember the exact terminology, but yeah. it's sort of 50-50. Um, you know, you, you, you work with veterans who um, maybe want additional support than just a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And part of... It was clever of them. Um, and it... It's again not not clinical, uh, but rather you can share your experience of what you went through. So there's rapport, and then you can also go, well, look, here are some options for you that are out there right now, which I wish I knew that you can use, which are free, um, to help you um, get through for now. And there are some projects like. The Veteran Surf Project I, I know of where a guy's taken veterans out surfing and it was the south coast of New South Wales when I first visited to watch this program and it was incredible, the, the change in the shift of energy mm. that was and joy, like actual joy in these people who, before they went out, seemed very tired and stressed and you know, lethargic, and they come back energised and smiling. It was just so good. So things like that, uh, things like how do you you write a CV after you get out of the military? Like, are my uh, combat skills convertible into a job? And so there are other things and resources out there. I know you know of them too, and uh, Dublin area yourself, Aaron, where um, we can, there are resources that we can use to help people, you know, uh, sort of transition into a um, civilian life and uh, get a purpose back and mateship back and, you know, hopefully start to contribute again. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's, it's so important because, uh, as you know, like that's something I'm, I'm passionate about to be able to help people that, uh, that are lost a little bit to be able to find a way and support them through that. And, you know, what I'm doing now is we've got the linkages with the right employers that really understand this. So they... They can provide the the the, the door um, for the individual to walk in. We just need to stand alongside them, get them in, get them sorted, and then they're away. You know, and that's so important. And you know, back in two thousand and thirteen, that's what you needed. Um, when I got made redundant, that's what I needed, but that wasn't there. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because I just think that uh, this is a huge gap in in, in humanity um, that that's that's needed. You know, we've got to lift each other up, support each other. You know become one uh, rather than separate and divided. And uh, we've all got the power to do that if we're strong enough to uh, to uh, to really listen more to what our hearts are saying rather than, um, you know, what the judgments and opinions of the mind are saying, as I mentioned before, you know. So it's, it's all within us, you know. It's, it's all within us to be able to do that, mate. So 
what what happened to you was a blessing in disguise because now you're actually helping so many other people and that's so much more rewarding i believe um you know than what you could have possibly been doing yes yeah i agree um again you know that quote there is grace in disaster and there's a little disclaimer in that if you see it too because i know that we uh, i don't want to downplay people who don't see it or uh, end up you know ending their lives and, and not coming back from it. So I was lucky enough to see it and then go, wow, this is a, this is a huge opportunity to, to reinvent and, um, you know, get that, get that pride back. And look, it, it's, imagine if we, if one of our ears, this is, I know it's a, it's a bit of a weird segue, but imagine one of our ears was a speaker that had a cable attached to our brain and it, you couldn't turn it off, and it broadcasts whatever you're thinking out loud all the time. Mm, I never thought of that. <laughs> Most of us would be doing some time in prison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I never thought of that, mate. It's an interesting one. It is, isn't it? And I, I think that we, we take for granted that the brain's job is to create thinking. Like, that's, that's the organ's it's the organ of thought and it you know it took thousands of years of in, you know environmental pressure to create this beautiful organ mm. that creates thinking for it. and now we all want to stop it yes that's right it's not going to stop it's its job mm. but i think like learning to surf you got to pick which waves to avoid and you got to pick which ones to surf yes and and that's really the, the, the practicality of learning something like an introspective practice. Well said, mate. Absolutely it is. And we've got to learn to settle the mind. You know, the mind is a wonderful tool. It's a terrible master, as you know, but um, you can use it well. Uh, but you've got to give it a rest. You've got to be able to give it a rest. It's good that you learned those meditation skills back then, mate. And I think that's, that's our job now is to be able to help more people find that. Um, but um, yeah, well said. I never thought of the thought of the speaker thing, but it's probably pretty relevant. Whoever, whoever can invent one of them, uh, <laughs> I think that'd be great. We're in trouble, mate. <laughs> That's true. Put them on a few politicians so we can see what's going on. Would be, would be nice. <laughs> well, you know, people who act holier than thou clearly won't be. Mm. Mm. It, it it's a function of the human, uh, the mammalian brain in a human to create, sometimes the thoughts are horrific and you're like, I didn't want that thought there, but it came in. And mm. sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sad, mm. but I mean, it, it would actually make uh, stigma disappear too. Mm, of course it would. Absolutely. You'd be like, oh, everyone's thinking garbage all the time and smart things all the time and sad things all the time. Oh, well, we're all the same, you know? No one's, no one's better and no one's worse than each other. Agree, and there's no separation because it's all happening, 60, 80,000 thoughts a day and you know, 90% of them are negative, you know? That, that happens to us all. So the, 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 the mind, the negative mind's there for a purpose, we're just gotta retrain it to be able to, uh, to be more kind, compassionate, grateful, all those sorts of things, because we were taught uh, to be judgmental, comparative, critical, all those lower levels of uh, awareness, mate, at the end of the day, we've gotta reframe that. And I just think we've got, we've got the ability to do that, you know, we're just, we're just going to try and um, use the tools, learn the tools to actually be kind to ourselves at the end of the day. And, um, 
you know, you were brought up in a hard environment with a military background, like your, your grandfather went to war, there was trauma that come through your bloodline primarily, so you were in that um, reactive mode and, and that's all you knew. So, you know, you've, you've actually been able to break the cycle here for, for other people, but also you know, to be able to show your family members that there's another way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, mum's side of the family left Northern Ireland because of fighting, right? The war. Yeah, and yeah. I, I can see that as a teenage boy, I was a, I was a fundamentalist Catholic. Yeah. So I was born in Australia, not Ireland. Yeah. And yet I didn't like British people. Mm. And, mm. and I was hateful towards them. But it's like, I remember one day I was, uh, ended up talking to a fella and later found out he was, you know, uh, English heritage and I thought uh, actually it was with my mum I said to my mum I said oh I've been mucking around with, you know one of the the English kids from school and she's like yeah so I'm like but he's English and she's like what the hell did you get that from mm. you know and it's so easy for us to continue that trauma down the bloodline even um, re- sort of implicitly mm. not not forcing it on our children but our behaviors can continue to ripple through to our children too and i think you're right we've got to be careful but it if you do want to make the effort to change well then get ready to work bloody hard too Mm. Uh, it's not easy and people do these short courses which is fantastic but if you're you know 30 years of conditioning or 40 years of conditioning and you do an eight-week course well of course, 40 years of conditioning is going to win out when you finish the course. Mm. So you've got to keep doing it every day. You do, mate. It's uh, called suddener in ancient traditions at this time in the morning where you can come back to that groundedness again. Otherwise, you'll become ungrounded, you know. And they're the, they're the, they're the simple tools, skills we need to be able to utilise as humans um, to be able to find that time for ourselves to reassure ourselves that everything's okay because yeah you're right the short course will be a band-aid fix the booze will be a band-aid fix the mental health first aid will be a band-aid fix all those sorts of things everything's great while it's happening but after it's happened then you come back to this uh imbalance again so you've got to be able to step up to the plate on a daily basis and uh and you know do things that are going to serve you rather than um you know take take life the other way yeah absolutely um and it's um you know the the mess i know that not everyone again going back to the very beginning it it really depends on the energy the person has at the time Mm. uh and and the luck involved who they're surrounded with and i I could give the most articulate perfect example of how you should recover Mm. but that's just from my experience and everyone's different and i know that not every person will benefit from things like meditation like i did either Mm. and it's not my place to push it or force it or sell it but if they want to learn something about how the brain changes from it sure i mean Mm. as far as i'm concerned it's it's the evidence is there it's pretty uh the jury's out it's pretty good stuff Mm. and you know it, it what the world needs right now is that prefrontal cortex Mm. and all the stress hijacks it mm. it's like so what are you going to do you, you've got you're lacking the logic and rationale and executive function because of stress hormones Can't yeah i don't know what to yeah. do yeah. 
I was going to say, you can't keep putting stress on top of stress and thinking it's going to sort itself out, mate. So you've got to, like I always say to people, find what it is that, you, that makes you feel calm and, and come back to that feeling on a daily basis so you know that's your default setting. You know, that, 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 that's really where you should be at because that's where you are feeling peaceful and at one with everything, you know. It might not be meditation, but it's just that, that getting back to that feeling, I, I think, which is really important. Yeah, and it matters because... You know, there was some research done by, I think it was a UK nurses in palliative care, and some people can, you know, look it up, and regrets of the dying sort of commentary. Mm-hmm. And the most common regret, although the detail's slightly different, but the overarching theme is, I, I wish I was out of my head more. I wish I cared less about being caught up in thinking about what other people were thinking of me and all this. It's like... Mm-hmm. Re- redo it because I think they got the answer wrong. Shouldn't it be, you know, the, the, the career and, and, and happiness and all these other things, money and a house and a Porsche? <laughs> no, they re- replicated these studies and the same thing kept coming up. So, and not everyone, but the most common response. So think about this. If you've got, I don't know, a day left on earth and someone says to you, what's your regret? And you go, oh, I wish I wasn't caught up in my head so much. Mm you'll be pissed off. Mm. Like, you can wait for that day to come and then say it if you want, or you can start to act now. Yes, that's right. The ball's in your court, man, but it's obviously easier said than done. I I completely recognise that. Mm. But for me, at least, I don't want to have that regret. And I'm... Look, stop and smell the roses and... I'm, I'm starting to walk down the footpath, notice the crack in the concrete with ants crawling in it, and I'm fascinated again like I'm a five-year-old boy. Yes. It's incredible. There I love it. Go. Perfect, mate. And you realise that we're all one. We're all part of something. You know, they're getting about their business. They're doing their job. Uh, you know, everything's got, <laughs> everything's got life force. That's not just about what's going on between our ears, you know. And uh, unfortunately, we've, we've taken the weight of the world on our shoulders, but we don't need to, to do that, mate. So... Um, we're going to run out of time, actually. But how can people get hold of you if they if they want, Karen? If they want to, they want to reach out and, and look at the wonderful work you're doing. Uh, yeah, I think in all uh, capital cities and and states in Australia and territories, uh, Open Arms Veterans Counselling has peer workers for the veteran community, mm-hmm. and that includes their their wives and siblings too, who are obviously often the carer for a lot of the veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty um open range so you can get hold of us that way um linkedin of course always love a yarn on linkedin and um yeah you can you can you can find me that way if you want to reach out uh one-on-one uh, or pretty responsive um except for obviously after hours make sure you've got a phone number to use because i'll be sleeping <laughs> but um you know what i mean mate any any of those means is uh is appropriate aaron thanks yeah appreciate it mate all, all good. I'm really grateful for the chat, Karen, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have many more in the future. So, so many people's lives can be uh, impacted from what you're doing, and that's only going to uh, uh, make the rest of your time you have in this body uh, fulfilled. And, uh, you know, you're doing wonderful things, mate. Stick at it and, and keep... Uh, Keep, keep doing what you can to help others, inspire others, and, and most importantly, look after yourself so you can do that well. So really, really grateful for the conversation, mate. 
Likewise, mate, I love what you're doing too. And, um, you know, we've got resources in ourselves. Uh, this is a, a st- I'm, I'm bastardising Marcus Aurelius here. He said, nowhere can man find a more quieter and untroubled retreat than his own soul. Mm, and he right. said, there are resources in there you need only contemplate to secure immediate release from your mind. And I just think it's wonderful that if we could start learning things like that and more, look, the government's got things to fix and the bosses have things to fix, but while you wait for things to get fixed, what are you going to do? And, and you can do things and, and start gently, slowly and kindly. And also, if you're worried about a mate right now, bloody reach out. Don't, don't uh, wait like, like lots of us have. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather you went out and were awkward and uncomfortable and found out the truth than not. So thanks for having me again, man. Mm, well said, mate.